Now, I'm sure by now you've heard me talk about the benefits of microdosing and how it's helped me and many other people with issues like anxiety and insomnia. Well, tonight's show is sponsored by Microdose Gummies. And Microdose Gummies deliver the perfect entry-level doses of THC and CBD for people who want the benefits of both without getting high from just one microdose. Yeah, I mentioned THC, but don't tense up. Microdose gummies are legal everywhere here in the United States. And while most hemp products focus exclusively on CBD, Microdose is formulated to deliver the classic effects and benefits of THC as well, in perfect balance with CBD, CBG, and therapeutic terpenes. Now, as a result, they help you feel relaxed. They can help ease tension, pain, and help you sleep at night. And they can also be great for creative flow and mood enhancement. Now, I especially love the taste of these gummies. You can tell they're made with real Oregon-grown berries. Now, Microdose is available nationwide. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use code MONSTERSAMONGUS to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in the show notes, but again, that's microdose.com and the code MONSTERSAMONGUS. Now, as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. Now back to that strange hum all the neighbors are talking about. on this late October evening. Now this is the time of tricks and treats, but it will be I this evening who will be supplying the treats in the form of phone calls submitted by the folks that actually had these terrifying encounters. True tales of the paranormal, preternatural, and supernatural. Tales of ghosts, monsters, anomalies, and other high strangeness. But given the fact that we're mere days from the celebration of Halloween, or Samhain, as it was once called, I figured we'd keep tonight's show on theme. So I scoured my archives in search of calls that took place on or near All Hallows' Evening. And, to my surprise, there were quite a few submitted. And also to my surprise, they were all pretty good. So join me this evening as we explore these grotesque and gruesome tales. But before we do, please be warned. There are a few stories this evening that involve discussions about suicide. Or at least the contemplation of. So if that's not your bag, I'll let you know before each story. 
so that you can skip it. Otherwise, dim those lights, lock the doors, send the young ones off the bed, and be sure to light a jack-o'-lantern. And join me in welcoming Adrian from Maine to the program. Hey Derek, it's Adrian from Maine again. I want to talk about a story that happened to me on the Queen Mary. Probably 2001, it was somewhere around Halloween. The only reason I remember that is because this happened around one of their Halloween events. I think it was called Shipwrecked. I was there with a girl I was kind of dating at the time, and we had a hotel room inside the, inside the Queen Mary, and we were uh, enjoying, you know, the mazes and the dance stuff and the Halloween stuff. And somehow we ended up in some sort of argument, and she left. So I proceeded to just kind of hang out, have a couple drinks, meet new friends, just kind of roam the halls of the of the Queen Mary, and when it came to turn in, I uh, you know went into the stateroom, started to fall asleep with the TV on, and then about maybe 20 minutes in trying to go to bed, the TV turns off by itself. So I'm like, that's weird. So I hit the remote, hit the power button, turns back on start watching whatever I was watching and then again it turns off by itself so at this point I'm, I'm probably a little too inebriated to deal with it and I was just kind of over it after having a bad night and I go over there and I unplug the television because I'm like I just don't want to deal with this so I try falling back asleep and then the TV somehow turns back on to nothing but static and this is probably about 20-30 minutes after I unplugged it and I was like, what is going on? I bounce out of bed. I look at the TV. It's got nothing but static. The room is completely dark except for the light of the television. And I proceed to just grab all, my, turn on the light, grab all my stuff, put it all in my bag. And as I'm walking out, I see that the faucet is turned on by itself. And the toilet starts flushing by itself. So I, I just straight book it out of there. It's probably about 3 or 4 in the morning at this point full of adrenaline and then I walk past the front desk to tell them I'm checking out and I tell them what happened and the front desk person is like oh yeah that that room is severely haunted happens all the time so I don't know what was going on in that room you know I've done tours of the Queen Mary a bunch of times you know downstairs in the engine room and you know the, the unevenness of some of the floors and all that stuff but I've never had an experience like this where things turn on when they're not plugged in, you know, noises, all that kind of stuff, faucets turning on. It was very bizarre, but it all, I think, kind of all tracks with what goes on in the Queen Mary. All right, thank you, Derek. I appreciate it. Thank you, Adrian. The old Queen Mary, the Grey Ghost, called that on account that in WWII, she was commissioned to carry GIs across the pond to fight the fascist. They painted her gray to blend in with the horizon. That, coupled with her unrivaled speed, earned her that infamous moniker. And you know, I've actually been on board. I bet she was something back in the day, but today she's pretty worn down and wore out. But I heard it's under new ownership and that they're committed to restoring her to her prior glory. So let us hope that is true. Now, Sarah took me there a few years ago for my birthday. 
just after Halloween. No ghosts, no ghouls or goblins, but plenty of atmosphere. It just felt like a place that should be haunted. But Adrian here did go in October, and perhaps that's why he managed to experience things that my wife, Sarah, and I were not. Because you see, October has been an unlucky month for the British ocean liner. On a near-perfect afternoon on the 2nd of October, 1942, the troop ship carrying 15,000 U.S. troops was off the Irish coast. The vessel was setting a zigzag course to help evade U-boats and long-range German bombers. The Queen Mary had caught up with her 4,290-ton escort vessel, the RN's Curacoa, and was set to overtake her. Aboard the Curacoa, seaman Ernest Watson was admiring the Queen Mary's majestic lines when he noticed the bow was swinging toward the cruiser. To his horror, she continued to swing and was soon on a collision course. The gap narrowed exorbitantly as the stunned Watson finally found his vocal cords and screamed, She's gonna ram us! Later, Watson described how many of his mates had been so shocked they could not move. Within seconds, there was a screech of twisted metal, followed by the hiss of steam and the screams of those injured or trapped below. The Queen Mary, 20 times larger than the cruiser, had been traveling at top revs, giving her a speed of 28.5 knots. The impact swung the Curacoa broadside on, and the troop ship sliced through her 10-centimeter armor plating. It was all over in seconds, and the troop ship continued her zigzagging course, leaving the Curacoa cut in two with the forward and aft ends, divided by a 100-meter strip of ocean. At the moment of impact, as the Curacoa reeled in the water, Watson and many other seamen on deck were thrown into the freezing water. Even as they surfaced, they watched in horror as the stern quickly sank, taking with it the men trapped behind the watertight doors, leaving the men in the murky water surrounded by debris, oil, and drowned or mutilated bodies. Their survivors believed the Queen Mary would turn back to pick them up. It was with obvious despair that they watched her disappear over the horizon. Of the Curacao's 430 personnel, only 99 seamen and two officers survived. The Queen was ordered to stop for nothing, and the writings go on to say that leaving the Curacao behind was the hardest thing the Queen Mary's captain has ever had to do. And on October 28, 1936, two hours before the liner was due to sail for New York, Captain Sir Edgar Britton was found unconscious in his cabin. His personal steward found him lying on the floor in his pajamas. It was thought he got out of bed to dress before the morning crew inspection and had collapsed. He was taken off the ship to a Southampton nursing home in a stretcher and died five hours later when the Queen Mary was in mid-channel on her way to Sherberg. Sir Edgar was 61 years of age and due to retire early the following summer. Many of his friends said that the immense strain of commanding such a ship as the Queen Mary had taken its toll. His body was taken out to sea and he was buried in the channel. And get this, the Queen has been docked in Long Beach, California for 56 years. But she last sailed on Halloween Day, October 31st, 1967.
Queen Mary approaches her final resting place at Long Beach. On board, a farewell party for the 1,200 passengers. Overhead, a giant jet sweeps past in salute, a symbol of the future saying goodbye to the past. For her master, Captain John Treasure Jones and his crew of nearly 900, these were poignant moments of farewell. But for the great flotilla of Californians here, it's their chance to give the old queen a tremendous welcome. The old lady has been bought by Long Beach for more than a million pounds, a sum which in poverty-stricken Britain is not to be sneezed at. During her 31 years of service, she's steamed nearly four million miles. As the great ship makes her last landfall, a chapter of Atlantic history comes to an end. Now, all that info courtesy of the Naval History Society of Australia. The book, The Queen Mary, by Neil Potter and Jack Frost, and Getty Images, respectively. Now, of course, there have been deaths and tragedies other times of the year on this infamous ship, but it's rather unusual to have lost so many men, an active captain, just two hours before the ship's scheduled departure, and the end of her career as a seaworthy vessel all within the month of October. But maybe it is all just a coincidence. But maybe there's something to the tenth month of the year. Why don't you book a room, wander the halls, and stay the night? Maybe visit a haunted house or two downstairs. And then tell me that that place doesn't feel freaky to you. Just as Adrian claimed. Thank you again, sir, for the call. Now, if you have a story you would like us to share here on the show, a true story, please consider calling our hotline at 888-608-NIGHT. That's 888-608-NIGHT. Or record a voice memo on your phone and email it to me at monstersamonguspodcast at gmail.com. Now, this next one isn't Halloween-related exactly, but it does involve a staple of that most sacred of holidays. Toby, from North Dakota. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Derek. My name is Toby, and I'm coming at you live from beautiful, sunny Fargo, North Dakota, which is where the sighting of this thing took place. I was driving home one night, very late at night. I work night shifts and I get off around midnight, so it was probably around 12.30 in the evening. It was early fall, it was very dark, and I was heading home to my apartment. Now, my apartment complex at the time had some strategic little security lights sort of placed here and there around the parking lot. And as I was coming around the corner to get to my garage, I looked up, and there in the spotlight of one of these security lights was, for lack of a better word, just a giant skeleton. It stood about probably 12 or 15 or so feet in height. It was a little bit taller than the garage bay. It was looming over the light, and it was beckoning me with a single finger looking at me, trying to call me forward with it. So I slammed on the brakes of my car and I blinked. And of course, as soon as I blink, I look up, the skeleton was gone. This scared 
the daylights out of me, of course. I'm not really one that is given to hallucinations or that kind of thing. I did a little bit of reading about it, and I actually did find a name for it. There is a Japanese yokai, which is like a type of ghost or demon, called either an Otokuro or a Gash Otokuro, and I'm sure I'm saying that wrong, but it is essentially a skeleton, a ghostly giant skeleton that is made of the bones of people who have starved to death in famines. And this skeleton is said to come up behind people, sneak up on them, rip them apart, and drink their blood, and continue on this way until it is satisfied. Now, North Dakota is not really close to Japan. From what I can tell, there hasn't been any major famines here. I don't know why, in particular, this sort of phenomenon would appear here, or to me, but it was a very, very startling thing to witness and a very, very odd thing to witness. I hear a lot of shadow people. I hear a lot of like things like dogmen and Bigfoots, UFOs, that kind of thing, but I haven't really heard of anyone else who has seen an Otakuro. So if you have anybody on the show who has seen anything even remotely similar, I would love to hear from you. Anyway, that's the whole story. Obviously, it didn't hurt me or anything. It just was very, very upsetting. Thank you for putting me on. I love the show, and I hope you can use the recording. Thank you. Thanks, Toby. Now let's assume that someone didn't quickly stand up one of those Home Depot giant skeletons, then quickly bring it back down. Outside of that, I have no idea what Toby might have seen. Now, we've heard all sorts of legends about giant skeletons. Newspapers back east would occasionally include tales of giants found in their newspapers. The late 1800s, early 1900s. Usually found near earthworks or mounds or caves. And some of these giant bones were found with hair intact. Red hair. And the teeth were said to be in double rows. And of course the size. Ten. 12, 15 feet tall. But outside the shared description of the skeleton itself, I'm not so sure that that's what Toby is talking about here. But whatever it was or is, it's perfect for tonight's program. So thank you again, Toby, for taking the time to share it. Now we all remember our first Halloween costumes. I'm old enough to remember the cheap department store costumes. The ones with the cheap plastic mask with the thread-thin elastic band ripping your hair out. Any screen-printed trash bag that you wear, no matter the temperature outside. But when we were dressed up as He-Man or Smurf or Vader himself, we felt like we had superpowers. But it's fun to wear masks, to wear a costume. And it becomes easy for us to somehow believe that it gives us powers. The ability of that character that we're trying to impersonate. Well, in Monica's case, it just might. Please, join me in welcoming her from the state of California. 
Hey, Derek. This is Monica from California. Again, I've called a few times. I was just listening to season 14, episode 6, and I don't remember the caller's name, but he was talking about his ability to accidentally manipulate streetlights. And he seemed to want other experiences of people who can do this, which I believe you called sliders. So I also seem to have something similar to this ability. And it's not something that I can control either. It seems to occur when I have really strong emotions. The most interesting time was probably when I had an argument with one of my friends. I don't remember. This is several years ago. I don't remember what year. But I know it was in November because it was right after her Halloween party. And the subject of the argument is not important. I was just madder than I had ever been. And my husband seeing how angry I was, suggested that we go for a walk. And while we were walking, I was sort of just ranting and raving. And as it reached a crescendo, we passed under a streetlight. And right as I was sort of getting to the height of my vent, the streetlight just popped out. And as we walked away, it popped back on. And my husband is a severe skeptic, but it was coincidental enough that even he took notice and was like that that was weird i have also always had sort of a weird relationship with electronics and technology it seems like they either love me or hate me for example when i used to work as a courier we had these really old like early 2000s laptops that would malfunction all the time nobody could get them to work but they would hand them to me i would do the exact same thing they did 10 times and poof, all of a sudden, it was working again like magic. On the other end of that spectrum, the last three cars I've had, the Bluetooth in the cars skips like a CD. Like I'm listening to your podcast, and all of a sudden, it skips about two or three seconds as if it was a CD with a scratch on it. it does the same thing to my music, and I cannot figure out why. And when I seem to get more excited or angry or some sort of large emotion these malfunctions tend to happen more often. So it's not really super interesting, but I just thought if you were running low on calls, which I'm sure you're not, you might want to play this for um, that caller who was talking about the streetlights so that he knows, you know, there's more of us out here and we don't know any more about it either. And we also can't control it. But I really enjoyed his story and I really enjoy the podcast. So thank you so much, Derek. Have a great day. Thanks, Monica. And yeah, they call them sliders. And sometimes they call the phenomena streetlight interference. Now, I put a link up in the show notes if you want to learn more. And if you'd like to hear more, I covered the subject back on 14.6 and 10.3. Go check those out. And you know, if what they say is true, and the veil is thinner this time of year, well, perhaps that allows people like Monica to tap into some sort of hidden talent, power, or energy. Or perhaps she or her boyfriend were wearing something that reflected light back to the sensor, causing the street light to go out. Most of these style lights have sensors somewhere that, when provided with enough light, for example sunrise, they notice switch off. So maybe it's that simple, or perhaps not. Either way, we thank you, Monica, 
for sharing the interesting tale. From Wondery, I Hear Fear is a new anthology series of suspenseful stories hosted by Carrie Mulligan. These stories are inspired by true events and real places, so the next sound you hear could be your own scream. In each episode of I Hear Fear, you'll be treated to a new psychological thriller, a forest monster who lures teens into the woods and never lets them return, a line of beauty products that takes the search for youth to dark extremes, and an EDM party that turns deadly when the DJ takes over more than just the dance floor. These might sound like urban legends, but I Hear Fear proves that the scariest stories of all are the ones that are true. I Hear Fear will introduce immersive horror and lead you straight into the heart of darkness. Prepare to be taken on a journey into the unknown. Follow I Hear Fear on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcast. You can binge all episodes of I Hear Fear ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Now, what a better place to spend the spooky season than a funeral home. Just ask Megan, out of Kansas. Hey, Derek. My name's Megan. I am from Kansas. I'm not going to say exactly where. My story's a little strange. I own a cleaning business. I do it by myself. Sometimes I have to take my kids with me. I had two at the time. My daughters would have been about four or five, I think. And the crazy thing is, is I've cleaned everything from doctor's offices, churches, you know, everything you can think of. Well, in 2018, I had the opportunity to clean a funeral home. I was a little nervous at first, and it actually started the weekend before Halloween, which I thought was really funny. A couple weeks in, I took my daughters with me it was a little creepy, you know, every once in a while, you know, you think you hear something. Turns out it's a big old ice machine in the back that would scare the crap out of you. But I took my daughters one time, and they both were on their little iPads being good. They're twins, they're the same age. They're in the foyer area, and they're sitting on the couches. And I can see them, and I'm at a room that's kind of catty corner to them, because in funeral homes, this one, being as big as it is, it has a ton of room and a bunch of viewing rooms and offices and stuff like that. So as I'm in this one room, which has Twitter rooms connected to it, it's kind of like a little break room. It had a coffee maker and two chairs. Well, the two chairs were like individual chairs a couple inches away from the wall. And as I go to walk past them into the other room, I'm vacuuming, you know, and I have my headphones on. And all of a sudden, I look back to mess with my vacuum cord And as I look back, I see the chair that's, you know, inches from the wall literally come forward and slam back, and I see the chair hit the wall. And fully expected one of my daughters to come running and jumping on the chair. And as I step back, fully expecting one of them to be there, I step back and about to tell them, hey, knock it off, go sit down. Nobody's there. And it literally took me, you know, two seconds just to step back and do that. I then take a couple more steps back and look at a corner to where both laying on the couches playing on their iPads quietly. I'm not entirely sure what it was. Uh, It was very creepy. But yeah, that is my story. Love the podcast. Keep it up. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Megan. Now, there's no more creepy a location than an empty funeral home. 
and there aren't many worse places to find yourself alone this time of year. But let's for a moment put on our paranormal blinders and reassess the situation. In doing so, I can't help but wonder if the vacuum cord didn't somehow become entangled in the chair's leg, causing it to move or even lurch while she was pushing the unit back and forth. We've all been there. That cord seems to get wrapped up in everything. And perhaps with the paranoia she was already feeling about being in such a location, caused her mind to skip the mundane explanation and go straight for a paranormal one. Then again, like I said, funeral homes are creepy places, and we've heard many a story to support that sentiment. So maybe the chair did move on its own, and perhaps it was a ghost of a former customer still lingering around. Whatever it was, I'm glad it was you that experienced it and not me, Megan. But we do thank you for sharing your frightful fable. Now, folks, don't forget that our merch shop is completely stocked right now. Just visit MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com and click on that shop tab. Your support goes a long way to keep us in business over here. So we truly appreciate it. Now this next one is one of those that I warned you about in the intro. This call does contain mentions of self-harm and frankly it's pretty intense. This might not be the best story for young children. Cameron from California. Welcome to the show. Hey it's Cameron again. My experience with a shadow person is different than anything you'll find on the internet because after I had this experience, I tried and I tried and I tried and I searched and I searched and it's just nowhere, nowhere the same and I don't know what to make of it. Actually, last year in 2019, the night, I would actually say the morning of, like maybe like four in the morning, of Halloween, as cheesy as it sounds. This is one time I will make the appropriate caveat and say that I am a very heavy sleeper. It's rare if even an earthquake will wake me up. People will try to wake me up, and all I can do is say 10 more minutes, blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm terrible. I'm terrible at waking up in the morning. So, I mean, unless I just happen to randomly wake up, whatever. But there's one particular morning, Halloween morning at, let's say, 4, because I don't know what time it was, but it was pretty early in the morning, almost around normal waking time, which for me is about 6, 6.30. I just sat up in my bed, which is not like me. Normally, I fight it to all hell because I don't want to wake up. <laughs> But I sat up straight in my bed without prompting, without anything. And I saw this seven-foot shadow walk down my hall. But it was not like the shadows on the internet. He had a pointy hood. And it was not translucent. It was very stark. But this seven-foot pointy hooded shadow walked down my hall and I only noticed it after I sat up straight in bed 
and I watched it walk down the hall. And I didn't have any heebie-jeebies like I normally have with stuff like this. And I actually called out with my husband's name because I thought it was my husband just casting a weird shadow, happening to, I don't know, turn on the coffee, whatever, do the normal morning thing. So I sat up in bed. I called out my husband's name. The shadow never turned to me once. I never had the heebie-jeebies, and it walked out of my sight line, and I laid down and went back to sleep because I didn't feel uneasy. Now, let's fast forward like 16 hours for that evening, Halloween evening. I hate to say it, but me and my husband had the worst argument we've ever had in our lives, which resulted in him beating a hole in that wall, that hall wall, where I saw the shadow figure, which was at least three by four feet wide. And then he ran into the spare bedroom to shoot himself. And all I could do was lay in that hall and cry. I was too afraid to move, too afraid to stop him. And the whole time I just laid in the hall and cried and cried and cried, waiting for the gunshot. And it didn't come. And he eventually came back to me. I don't know what to make of that. Thank you, Cameron. It's pretty heavy. But first off, let me say I'm happy to hear that that night was simply a low point and not an end. Not all stories like this have a positive ending. And thank you again for telling it. I could tell that just sharing the story was difficult for you. So we appreciate your bravery, Cameron. Now as for the strange part of the encounter, the actual shadow entity. Given the circumstances around this sighting, I'm wondering if the pain and conflict felt that night didn't somehow manifest itself as this entity. That, or that negative energy, attracted something. Which I suppose is a much scarier concept. Somehow. And I'm now wondering how many other shadow entity stories also involve negative emotions. Perhaps that detail was overlooked by me, or simply not shared by the caller. Or, perhaps Cameron's encounter is unique. Regardless... Thank you again for sharing, Cameron. And if you or someone you know is suffering, please seek help, because not everyone is in a position to do so for themselves. Now then, what's a Halloween episode without a monster? A big, hairy, red-eyed monster. Patrick from Kansas. Tell us what you saw. Hi, Derek. This is Patrick in the state of Kansas. Love your show. Been listening for like a year now. Probably heard every single episode. Finally worked up the nerve to call. Had a few experiences in my life way back in the day. Nothing in my recent life, but uh, 
maybe we're just more attuned to that wavelength or spectrum of reality when we're younger. Anyway, this probably happened in the year 2006, maybe 2007. I was 18 or 19 at the time. This was the summertime in Kansas. My friend and I, we uh, used to entertain ourselves by taking super long cruises through the country in the evening and into the night sometimes, and just exploring the back roads of our state and our county and whatever. And this particular night, we drove, I don't know, we were driving forever. We were driving around Lake City down in Barber County, Kansas. It's basically a ghost town. If anyone's listening from Lake City, I apologize. I know that there are people who actually live there, but it's like probably five people. Yeah, just nothing there, nothing out there. So we're driving around there uh, on a back road, just talking, chatting it up. This is maybe like 1.30 in the morning or something like that. It's pretty late. It was on a weekend. My friend and I were driving down this road, just talking, like I said, and I'm looking out the window, looking at the stars or whatever, because that's about all you can see out there. And thing just stands up on the side of the road. I don't, we couldn't see what it was. It just stood straight up. It seemed to be about the size of a deer. I saw it, my friend saw it at the same time, so he kind of pumped the brakes. A deer are a pretty common sight anywhere and in Kansas also. So we thought nothing of it at first, but we stopped so we didn't hit the deer. And next thing we know, this thing leaps completely across the road. Like it doesn't run across the road like a deer. Also a deer wouldn't run across the road. It would run away from us. Yeah, it ran across the road basically on two legs. It was maybe four or five feet tall, bipedal. It moved very fast. We couldn't really see much detail, except for when we saw it initially, when it stood up, the uh, headlights must have caught its eyes. Its eyes were bright red when they caught the headlights. It seemed to be covered in dark hair, maybe had dark skin. Couldn't get any detail, so that was pretty strange. Ran across the road, ran to the other side of the road, into the field, into the darkness where we couldn't see it anymore. My friend and I were just sitting there staring at each other like, what the hell was that? My friend, I think, suggested, oh my God, was that a chupacabra? I thought it was hilarious. I said, maybe it was like a little Bigfoot. I don't know. Couldn't see any details. So we kept driving away from there. And it's 1.30 in the morning in Barber County, Kansas, which is close to the Oklahoma border. And there's like the most populous town in that county is maybe 2,000 people. And it was nowhere near where we were. We were about 30 miles away from it. And as we're driving down the road, this big white pickup truck, like a new model pickup truck comes screaming towards us in the direction of whatever the hell it was we'd just seen. You know, we don't think anything of this at first because even though it's late, people in Kansas drive trucks, especially out in the country, you know, it could have been a farmer or something. You know, who knows? So anyways, this truck is driving towards us and that passes us. And we just kind of made a mental note. It was a newer model truck, white, large. It was going really fast. I mean, we were peeling out of there probably around 50 miles per hour, about as quick as you want to go on a dirt road. They had to have been going about 80, maybe 90. They were hauling ass towards that thing we'd just seen, which, you know, we thought nothing of at that moment. Anyways, we passed that truck, and we're, we're still driving. 
wondering what the hell it was we'd just seen. And then we see this other truck coming up towards us. We didn't know it was a truck at the time. We just saw headlights, you know, because they were off in the distance. And they closed with us really fast because they were hauling too. And as we passed, we saw that that truck was the uh, exact same make, model, year as the truck that we just passed, which is not common at all. To see that much traffic on a dirt road in the middle of nowhere at 1.30ish in the morning in the middle of Kansas, let alone two trucks that are the exact same make and model, it's pretty strange. Uh, By this point, we're like, what is going on? You know, so we keep driving. If you've ever driven back roads of uh, the Midwest, you're from Ohio, so you probably, I don't know, it might be a little more hilly, windy there, but yeah, roads just going straight lines here in Kansas, so we are driving straight. And we see another set of headlights, and uh, this one is hauling ass too, just gains on us in no time. They were going like 80 as well, past them. This was a large, white, new model van. We got no look at any of the plates or anything, but it was just, yeah, pretty weird that we saw some something that ran on two legs about the size of a small person, you know, in the middle of Kansas, in the middle of nowhere, and heading in its direction with great speed <laughs> were uh, three new model white vehicles of uh, unknown origin. I don't know what that was. Pretty strange, you know. Our minds went to conspiracies, aliens, uh, you know, I have no idea. But that was pretty weird. Uh, Anyways, again, love your podcast, man. You take care. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Thank you, Patrick. Well, that is certainly a monster. A hairy humanoid thing, upright with two long, dark hair-covered legs that seemed to leap across the road. Now, that sounds like a squatch to me. Or at least it could be. So I started digging. After all, Kansas isn't exactly the place you think of when it comes to Sasquatch. Sure, they have the Sally House, Stahl Cemetery, and Gateway to Hell. And old Sinkhole Sam, their very own lake monster. But in a few remote parts of the state, they also seem to have... Bigfoot reports. And just 40-some miles to the northeast of where Patrick saw what he saw, other reports have come in. These courtesy of the BFRO website. Kingman, Kansas. One Saturday evening at about 6.30 p.m. in October, a friend and I were walking along the Nineska River and saw 8 to 10 very large footprints in the sand. The prints were 11 to 14 inches long and about 6 inches wide in the largest spot. Right away I knew that the tracks were not human. They had to belong to Bigfoot. The prints had five toe marks at the end. They were about half a mile from the rocky dam under a bridge. The tracks led to the water and could not be followed. And then this one from the Murdoch area. Back in 2004, my boyfriend and I were driving around at night. We were near Murdoch, Kansas on a dirt road when we seen something run along the fence line. It was grayish-white and about 8 foot tall. I turned the car around to see if it was still there, and it was gone. I have always joked that it was Bigfoot, never knowing that there had been sightings in Kansas. 
Now you know I thought that last one was eerily similar to Patrick's encounter, save for the color of the creature. Something worth noting. And I should also note that the BFRO website wasn't the only place that I was able to find first-hand encounters. The following story was told on the television program Finding Bigfoot, when the gang trekked to Kansas to investigate reports in the same general area that Patrick referred to in his story. This clip is from Season 5, Episode 9. Well, James, now that we're here, will you tell us exactly what happened that night? Well, it was about 12 midnight. I had my chair set up. I'm just sitting here relaxing, just watching my pool. Look up, and I seen this big shape with two glowing eyes. There's no bears in Kansas, and there's no mountain lion with a head that damn big. So I told him that I was leaving my fish, and I took everything except for my chair, which I forgot, and I left. I came back the next day to grab my chair, and there was two footprints in the water and a couple out here on the dirt, and there was a handprint going into the mud to grab the fish. I find James's story very interesting. He claims that he was so terrified that he left his chair, his fishing pole, all of his gear, and ran for the hills. Yet he stopped and had the presence of mind to offer his catfish to this massive figure that he thinks is coming after him? That just doesn't add up. Well, I had the fish like right here. Uh-huh. And he it went down like that and went like that. So you saw finger scrapes like what uh-huh. you just did? Yeah. I just wish I would have got the pictures. Yeah, so do I. Now again, I couldn't help but notice a few similarities between this Finding Bigfoot story and Patrick's tale. Similar looking creature, both stood up from a crouching position when noticed, and both talked about red, glowing eyes. Now I realize in the Finding Bigfoot clip he does not mention that the eyes were red, but in another part of the broadcast he does include that detail. We're dedicated to getting the story right here at MAU. Anyway, the only attribute that appears the two sightings do not have is the creature's size. One was described as four or five feet, the other eight or nine. And that's a pretty big difference. Which could either indicate a misidentification, or perhaps that there are more than one of these things, and they may be at different ages. Now what's missing from all of this research is the caravan of covert government vehicles racing across the grassland. I did some serious digging and could not find a connection with Kansas, south-central Kansas to be more specific, and any sort of government cover-up involving Bigfoot or any other cryptid for that matter. But maybe someone out there knows more than me. Maybe a local in the area has heard rumors, seen a thing or two. If so, be sure to give us a call shoot us an email. Until then, just know, Patrick, that it may seem wild to see something like that, especially in a place like Kansas. But if my research tells us anything, you're not the only one. So thank you again for reporting what you saw. Okay, so this next is another that I warned you about. Some discussion of suicide is mentioned in the following story and commentary. That said, 
Leo from Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Hi, I'm a big fan of your podcast. My name is Leo. I am 13 years old and I live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. In October of 2022, I went on a Halloween tour in my town where I live. And once we were, I want to say, halfway through it, we got to this church. And the woman who was in charge of it was explaining that right across the street from the church used to be, like, a funeral home. There were, like, they did stuff with dead bodies, all that. And the man who owned it had an apprentice, and the apprentice actually committed suicide. So I'm listening to this, and I'm like, oh, my God. That's terrible. And I see across the street an odd black orb just floating there. It's not shiny or whatever. It's just a black void across the street in the air. And I am, like, shocked by this. And these other people who were on the tour turned to me and my mom and they say, oh my God, did you see that? And I say, a black orb? And they say, yes. So we have both seen the exact same black void. And I get home and my mom Googles black orb or like black void, meaning like what it would mean, what type of ghost it was. And it is very well linked with suicides. So there is no way that could be a coincidence. Anyways, that was my story. Once again, I love your podcast. Uh, bye. Thanks, bud. Now, this is all info I'd never heard before. So let's explore this story a little deeper. Now, Delaney was able to find the death that Leo's tour guide seemed to be referring to. And according to Wikipedia... Ryan Erickson was a Roman Catholic priest and associate pastor at St. Patrick's Church in Hudson, Wisconsin, who died by suicide on December 19, 2004. In October of 2005, St. Croix County Judge Eric Lundell found probable cause that Erickson killed funeral home director Daniel O'Connell and mortuary science intern James Ellison almost three years earlier shortly before O'Connell was to confront Erickson with allegations that he had sexually abused a teenage boy. Prior to the suicide, police had questioned Erickson twice in five weeks about the two killings. Now he sounds like a vile human being, even if half of that is true. So let's not give that man any more attention, and instead focus on the black orb portion of the tale. Now according to a website, speakingtree.in. Some quite interesting reports of black orbs have been related to severe negative emotion, such as grief, loss, severe stress, or physical harm. There have been reports of people seeing these black orbs when they had suicidal thoughts. Others have reported seeing them buzzing around the ears of someone having a heated argument over the phone. An unsettling number of sightings have reportedly occurred at cemeteries. So perhaps there is some merit to what Leo's mother found on the internet. Unless, of course, we both found the same source. And that source happens to be wrong. But either way, Leo's story seems to check out. And despite how unbelievable the claims are, I somehow still believe him. 
so thank you again, Leo, for exposing us to a new paranormal occurrence. The Black Orb of Doom. And folks, I have one more story to share with you, but before I do, a quick reminder that you can catch our feature film, Shadows in the Desert, High Strangeness in the Brago Triangle, on November 2nd at 7 p.m. at the Salina Arts Center in Salina, Kansas. Tickets can be found at borregotriangle.com. That's Borrego, B-O-R-R-E-G-O. And don't forget, there's a digital Q&A afterward featuring my partner David Flora and myself. Again, that's November 2nd. Go to borregotriangle.com for more details. And now, for that last-ish Halloween episode entry. And this one, too, focuses on orbs, but with a completely different outcome. Please welcome Paul from the Great Lakes State. Hey, Derek. Man, have I got a story for you. I'm a long-time listener, first-time caller. I know that's cliche, but I've always wanted to say that. (laughs) My name is Paul, and I'm from Detroit. But the story that I'm about to tell you actually took place in Ferndale, Michigan. Okay, so it was Halloween night, Halloween night of all nights, 2018. I was in Ferndale, Michigan at my uh, uncle's house, and it was unseasonably warm. I remember I was out on the porch just wearing a t-shirt. I was smoking a cigarette. It was about 9.30 at night. And I was just sitting there thinking about how bad I felt for all the kids because they uh, am trick-or-treating so early nowadays. And I remember when I was a kid, we would go trick-or-treating until like midnight. So it's like 9.30 p.m. and every single house on the block has their lights off. So the block is completely dark and completely silent. It's not a soul out. All the houses turn off their lights so the kids would stop ringing their doorbells, you know? And I was thinking about how bad I felt about that and how whack it is. And all of a sudden, something catches my eye above me. And I look up, and I cannot believe what I'm seeing. Only about 100 feet in the air, maybe less. I'm not that great at judging distance like that. And what I see is, I see this ball of electricity or energy it was a ball of amber light an orb just gliding through the skies silently and i just looking up in awe at this thing and i become completely paralyzed and i don't know if this thing paralyzed me or if you know seeing it was just so far outside the realm of normal reality that my body just shut down because I definitely felt my brain literally shut down. I've never had a sensation like this, but it felt like it shut down like a computer. Like my brain had the blue screen of death, like from back in the day when your computer would crash. And I'm just staring at this thing and my mouth is hanging open. And as soon as I see it, it's as if it becomes aware that I'm aware of it. And like I said, it was super low in the sky. It's about the size of a basketball. And when it realizes that I see it, it stops directly above my head. And then it just starts to slowly lower down. 
Then it's like probably 20 feet above me. If I had a ladder, I could climb up it and I could touch this thing. I swear to God. I'm just looking at this thing and I start to feel terror. Even though this thing was so beautiful, I'm looking at it and inside of it, it's just all this swirling amber, like uh, I can't describe it as anything else besides like plasma or uh, electricity doesn't even do it justice. Uh, this energy is just swirling around inside of it and I had the impression that it was not a craft of any kind and that it was a being made of pure energy and it lowers down to about 20 feet above me and then I, this is where it gets really crazy. It spoke to me telepathically. It said, it's very simple what it said and that it just said one thing and that was it. It said, I'm allowing you to see me. And then it started to boil and undulate and it started to turn into a shower of sparks, these orange sparks like you would see from like a torch cutter cutting through steel. And I was finally able to, I don't know if I was able to move the rest of my body because I, I didn't, but I was able to move my head finally and I looked down at my arms my uh, arms are bare because I'm just wearing a t-shirt because like I said, it was an unseasonably warm Halloween night. It was very warm. It was like the summer. And I'm looking down at my forearms and I see these orange sparks just hitting the skin on my forearms and disappearing the second they hit my skin. Just absolutely dissipating. And I look back up at the orb and the orb is dissipating in this shower of sparks. It's getting smaller and smaller as it's, you know, turning into these sparks. And then all I remember is that it got smaller and smaller until it just disappeared in a point of light, and then it was just gone. And then what happened next is pretty crazy, too. I uh, have absolutely no memory of what occurred after this thing turned into a shower of sparks and disappeared. One minute I was on my porch smoking a cigarette and the next thing I knew, I woke up in my bed the next morning with absolutely no memory of how I got there and I must have had six to eight hours of missing time. And another crazy thing is that I... Strangely, I, you know, a lot of people might think this is strange, but I never sleep in my bed. I always sleep on my couch because I like to watch TV until I fall asleep. And I don't know, I just enjoy sleeping on the couch. So I woke up in bed, like tucked in and with no memory of how I got there. It's been almost five years now. And I still haven't recovered any memory of what occurred after this thing disappeared. And I have no idea why it chose me. I have no idea why it was gliding through the sky silently. I have no idea what this creature was, because I do believe it was a being made of energy. I just know that I was lucky enough to encounter it. And although I felt terror when I saw it, I do feel blessed to have seen it. Anyway, that's my story. I hope you enjoy it, and I really hope to get on the show. I love your show. I never miss an episode.
and I've been listening to you for years, and I just love how I've seen you progress. All right, thank you for everything you do, and uh, I'll be calling in later with more stories because I do have more. All right, thank you. Bye. Thank you, Paul, for the entry. While this combination of details may be new to me, apparently it's not new to a select few people across not only the Midden State, but the entire country. And many with eerily similar specifics. For example, this account was posted on Patch.com's article, 40 UFO Sightings in Michigan So Far This Year. Roseville, April 9th at 11 p.m., 2023. While sitting in bed, a person noticed a very bright glowing orb very high in the sky. It has sparks occasionally flying off randomly at any side. One minute there would be several sparks, the next few minutes there would be only a few. It moved in all different directions, up, down, left, right, and often hovered in one stationary place. Over the 45 minutes that I watched it, it moved slowly in the west direction until it was out of view. I got a small video of it but couldn't see any of the sparks with my camera quality. Sadly, no photo was included in the article. But it's hard not to pick up on the fact that this craft too was glowing and throwing sparks. And it's worth noting that this encounter occurred a mere 15 minute drive from the location of Paul's sighting. Then there's this. A mysterious tweet from back in January 9th of 2023 from the Detroit Free Press, which coincidentally is about the same distance away. Developing multiple locations across Metro Detroit are detecting a bright yellow shining orb in the sky. We're working to confirm what exactly it is before it disappears. Now Delaney did some digging, but apparently there was no follow-up to this tweet. No other mentions of these strange glowing orbs. But I did find another experience similar to Paul's that I thought was worth including in tonight's broadcast. And it comes to us via an ABC News article entitled, Abducted by Aliens, Believers, Tell Their Stories. It was an orb of light, he said. Just a big ball of light. It wasn't moving. One was solid white, the other was directly across the street from it. Up 300 feet above the ground, it was changing colors very rapidly. This is not usual. Something's wrong here. Maybe I'm over my head. I'm not supposed to be looking at this stuff. Copeland, 27, who drives forklifts at a warehouse for a living, recalled thinking. But after the video of what Copeland said he witnessed in the sky was posted on YouTube, he said a strange visitor came to his front door. I woke up from the nap by the sound of someone trying to enter my apartment. And I said, who is it? There was no answer. Still just, you know, you could see the doorknob moving and, and like a scratching at the door. And I keep a firearm. It was on my table. And my thought was to get up and check. I was in complete paralysis. The only things I could move were my eyes. And I heard a voice through the door say, You don't need that weapon. We won't harm. Soon after, Copeland said he started experiencing what he calls missing time. During a span of two nights, Copeland said he missed four hours, but not as a result of sleep. So I'd say as long as you stay out of the Great Lakes state, you should be just fine. But apparently it happens in Virginia as well. 
so instead I'll just say, be careful out there. For it might be the time when the veil is the thinnest, when dark, sinister things creep near, and portals and gateways are said to open. But do remember to keep an eye on the sky as well, because no one really specified where these portals lead, or what they open up to, and what exactly is on the other side. Monsters, ghosts, shadows, are glowing orbs of light that steal your precious time. And folks, that's going to do it for this Halloween episode. I hope you all enjoyed this collection I assembled here this evening. I trust it was less trick and more treat. Now be sure to catch us back here next week with a brand new installment. Until then, however, Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Copyright Red Crow Media. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Delaney Bowers. Please follow us on our social media accounts over at Facebook and Instagram. And while you're at it, give us a like and follow at YouTube. While you're online, leave us a rate and review wherever possible. If you can't get enough of the show, please consider listening on digital radio, Tuesdays and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Eastern at Sundown 96.6, or Saturdays at 11 p.m. Eastern on the Onyx Network. And our friends over at the Onyx Network present XCON, October 30th through November 1st in Springfield, Missouri. If you haven't yet registered, there are tickets still available. Go to onxnetwork.com forward slash XCON to check it out. Tickets will be available at the door as well. And be sure to tune in to the live stream for the Unex Network Awards Ceremony, October 31st at 7 p.m. Central Time. And tonight's score was provided by Armchair Ambiance, Co.ag Music, and Carl Casey at White Bad Audio. And finally, I truly hope each and every one of you have an amazing Halloween. And I hope there's a bonfire in your future. Have a good night, everyone. And above all else, keep it spooky. What's a Halloween show without a witch story? At least a witch in the classical sense. Here to meet that quota is Nikki from New Jersey. Hey Derek, it's Nikki from New Jersey. Summer going into my junior year of high school. So this would have been around 2007, 2008, something like that. I didn't have my license yet, so my boyfriend at the time had to drive me home. And we're in the country in New Jersey, so you drive along a lot of back roads. And one summer night, it was maybe around midnight, 
one in the morning. He's driving me home, and like I said, we're on the back roads, and we got the windows down. We're just enjoying the weather. It was beautiful outside. We're just enjoying driving on the back roads, and all of a sudden, we just see something black in in front of us on the road, and his, uh, his headlights caught it, and we were kind of like, Okay, like you can't really see what it is. Maybe it maybe a bear got hit, something like that. That that's pretty normal around us. And all of a sudden as we got closer, it starts moving and we're like, Okay, like that's not a dead bear and we see this lady just kneeling in the middle of the road wearing all black as if she's just come from a funeral. I mean she has like a black veil covering her face, like a long black dress with long black sleeves, just like all done up and she's like she's screaming. Like as if whatever she's kneeling by, like she's devastated, whatever is happening. And she sees our car and she just stares at us. And again it's just screaming and she's crying and I mean, we're freaked out. We're like 16, 17 years old. Like no one else is on these back roads. So we rolled our windows up as fast as we could. And we drove past her and she was just staring at us the whole entire time we were going past her. And in front of her was like a dead crow, just a black crow. I I mean, it was just a black bird, but we're just assuming it was a crow. I don't really know why. And she was just like mourning over this crow and it was very, very eerie. And I had a very uncomfortable feeling the whole rest of the way that he took me home. And he still had to go that way to go back home. And I remember I had him stay on the phone with me and it couldn't have been 10 minutes since we last were at that spot when he drove past it again. And he's like, holy shit she's not here like there's no crow like there's nothing there's absolutely nothing here and we were freaking out so I have no idea what that was it could have simply been she was holding a funeral for her dead crow but like if I really think about it that is weird and I don't see why she would do that maybe you have an explanation but I just want to say I really really love your show I definitely don't like listening to it at night because it creeps me out but I love the stories and you're doing an awesome job alright thanks bye ooh thanks Nikki you know if you're creeped out that means I'm doing my job well so thank you and here are my thoughts on her story if I imagined a person that would have a pet crow or a raven It wouldn't be hard to conjure up the image of a woman that looked exactly like what Nikki saw. A gothic recluse, a crumbling beauty, a widowed homebody with a flair for the theatrical. And I can also imagine this person calling for the bird the entire day, growing more and more anxious with every moment that it doesn't return. Until that evening, finding its remains in the roadway, likely a roadkill victim. And if I imagined how a person like this, that would have a pet crow or a raven, would react, dramatically sobbing in the roadway, is exactly the type of behavior I would envision. 
but then again, if I were to close my eyes and visualize the perfect ghostly image to haunt a lonely country road, that mysterious lady in black would certainly be near the top of that list. So thank you again, Nikki, for sharing that intriguing story. And folks, that's going to do it for the main portion of this show. But if you'd like to join us over at the beyond, give our website a visit at monstersamonguspodcast.com and click the Patreon tab, then sign up for the appropriate level. $1 gets you ad-free content. $5 gets you the bonus works and extended episodes. Some 100 hours of content. And now you can check it all out for free for seven days. Just visit patreon.com and search for Monsters Among Us. Now, on with tonight's bonus content. Good evening, Monster Squad, and thank you so much for joining us this All Hallows evening. Well, sort of. We're getting there. Anyway, I have some good news, and I have some bad news. And I'll start with the bad news.